Well, uh, let's turn to the book of Revelation. Revelation. And let's go ahead and read verse 1. Revelation 1, 1. It says this, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. This is the Apostle John. Now, revelation is the Greek word apocalypse, and it actually literally means unveiling or taking off the cover. Uh, have you ever been to an unveiling of a new Mercury Sable or on TV or thinking in the old times when they would unveil a statue for this, uh, the center of the plaza in the city, whatever, and uh, everybody would be together and the drum would roll and then they would take the uh, canvas off of the statue or whatever, and that's the unveiling. And this is really what this Greek word means, revelation, apocalypse. It means unveiling or taking off the cover. And so God in the book of Revelation is taking off the cover to reveal to us and to see the place, the true and rightful place of the Lord Jesus Christ. Having begun with the book of Genesis, and, and we see the fallen state of man in the book of Genesis. And we go through the entire Bible with the ups and the downs of the human race. Finally, in the book of Revelation, we see Jesus taking his rightful place as the king of the universe and the king of the world. And how he has, through his grace, brought us, those that will, accept him and love him into a place of glory and blessing such as is hard for our minds to even comprehend as with the modern term it blows our minds and so this is what the book of revelation is about to see the place of jesus christ in his glory now the scripture says about jesus that he endured that cross despising the shame for the joy that was set before him this book is that joy this book is about the joy of the lord in taking over this world finally. As the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is very exciting and very wonderful uh, to have this revealed to us. Now, <clears throat> many think that the book of Revelation is confusing and don't really want to even read it or get into it. But you see, the very opposite is true. That's from the enemy. Because the very word itself means to unveil, to uncover, to his servants, to us, to his people. He wants to show us things, show us things to come by his Holy Spirit. A really neat thing was done by Dr. Henry Morris, who I respect so much in the Lord. He's the president of the Creation Institute down in San Diego. Very, very intelligent man. Pastor Chuck had him come last, uh, to the last uh, pastor's conference and speak on Genesis. His forte really is the book of Genesis and debating evolution and so forth. But he's also written a commentary on the book of Revelation, which I got my hands on, and I'm very excited about that. And uh, I, I'd like to read to you something that he put together that's so neat. 
about the contrast between Genesis and the fall, the beginning of sin in the world, the cursed earth, really, and the eternal world that we find in Revelation. The, uh, the uh, contrasts are incredible, as I just want to go through a few of them that he brought forth. In Genesis, it talks about the rule of the sun and the moon. In Revelation, it talks about no need of sun or moon because the light of Jesus Christ is going to light the place. He talks in Genesis about the first heavens and the earth being finished. In Revelation, we're told about the new heaven and the new earth forever. In Genesis, we're told about the river flowing out of the Garden of Eden. And in Revelation, we're told about the river flowing from God's throne. In Genesis, we're told about the tree of life in the midst of the garden. In Revelation, we're told about the tree of life all throughout the city of God, on either side of the river that flows from the throne, and on either side of the streets, all available for us, actually bearing 12 manner of fruits once each month, always be fruit on the trees for us. Genesis talks about a bride formed from her husband, taken from Adam's rib. In Revelation, it talks about a bride, the bride of Christ, adorned for her husband. In Genesis, it talks about the garden accessible to the liar, the devil. And in Revelation, it talks about how the city is closed to all liars. There will never be another lie told again when Jesus reigns. In Genesis, we're told about man, the creation, and in Revelation, we're told about man, the heir. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ to rule and reign with him. In Genesis, we're talked about, it's talked about the cursed ground. In Revelation, it talks about no more curse. In Genesis, it talks about daily sorrow. In Revelation, it talks about no more sorrow. In Genesis, it talks about sweat on the face. In Revelation, it talks about no more tears. In Genesis, it talks about thorns and thistles. In Revelation, it talks about no more pain. In Genesis, it talks about returning to the dust, dust to dust. In Revelation, it talks about no more death. In Genesis, it talks about coats of skins. In Revelation, it talks about fine linen, white and clean, which is the righteousness of saints, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. For God has made him to us righteousness. In Genesis, it talks about Satan opposing. In Revelation, it talks about Satan banished. In Genesis, it talks about kept from the tree of life. Remember the cherubim that guarded the garden from keeping Adam and Eve from eating of the tree of life. In Revelation, it talks about access to the tree of life. In Genesis, it talks about banished from the garden. And in Revelation, it talks about free entry to the city. In Genesis, it talks about the Redeemer being promised in Genesis 3.15, that he would bruise uh, the head, give a fatal wound to the devil, the Lord Jesus. And in Revelation, it talks about that redemption accomplished. In Genesis, it talks about evil continually, just before the flood. And in Revelation, it talks about nothing that defiles, nothing ever again. You'll turn on the news and it'll say, nothing of any evil has happened today. God bless you and have a great day. Oh, man. You know, I don't think we realize 
how oppressive it is to live in, in our society, in this present evil generation. I don't believe we really know how oppressive it is. I believe that that has a lot to do with fear in the hearts and beings of God's people when they're struggling with fear. I believe it has a lot to do with uh, influencing our lives. Remember that it said of righteous Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah that his spirit was vexed daily because he lived there in Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't think we actually know how good it's going to feel just for that part of it. Just to have nothing around you that defiles or makes a lie. And then finally, it talks in Genesis about the cherubim guarding the garden. And in Revelation chapter 21 verse 9, it talks how the angels are inviting us to come. There's no more guarding and keeping away from the tree of life. But come, eat freely of the tree of life, whosoever will. The angels beckon me from heaven's open doors, and I can't be at home in this world anymore. You know that song? Do, Lord, oh, do, Lord, oh, do remember me. I love that song. I'm not going to attempt to sing it today. But the angels beckon me from heaven's open doors, and I can't be at home in this world anymore. That's the way it is. Now, with that, we uh, do know here that John the Apostle was given the privilege of writing this book. The first persecution of the church, the major persecution through Rome, took place through Caesar Nero. And under that persecution in 68 AD, pa or Pastor Paul, the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Peter were both killed in that persecution. Then, later on, the second uh, wave of persecution came through the Emperor Dalmatian. And this was around in 90 AD, in the 90s. And in this second persecution, 40,000 Christians were killed. The Apostle John was arrested, and they did try to kill him. Uh, they had a system where they would actually pour hot oil over people. It was horrible. And uh, they tried to do this with the Apostle John. But the Apostle John, I just would love to have been there and seen this. It didn't work on him. You can imagine the boiling oil just, just going past his skin and no harm, no foul. Kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. The same kind of thing. So uh, Emperor Domitian, frustrated with the situation, exiled the Apostle John to an island called Patmos. Now this island is in the Aegean Sea. It's only 10 miles long. Catalina Island is 26 miles long. And so uh, it's less than half the length of Catalina. It's only six miles wide, and it's a very rocky uh, island with hardly any vegetation or shade to speak of. And so the Apostle John was exiled there. If we do our map, here's the Aegean Sea. We have Corinth and Athens over here on Greece. And then over here is Ephesus and all the church, the seven churches in Asia Minor. This is the Aegean Sea. 150 miles east of Athens in the Aegean Sea is this little island of Patmos. It's kind of far out there. And so John exiled there. While he was there, God gave him the revelation. And what a great place to put him, really, when you come think of it. Very lonely, very quiet, and just pretty much alone. And boom, the Lord God Almighty comes to the Apostle John and tells him to write. 
And this is the uh, event that we're, we're reading today. Now, today we're just going to look at really the introduction to the book, basically, the first nine verses of chapter one. And in these verses, we're going to see the glory of the Lord Jesus in his love and in so much blessing that he has brought to us as uh, we glean so much from even the introduction to the book of Revelation. And so with that, let's go ahead and read. Let's read verse 1 again and down, down to verse 3. The revelation or the unveiling, the uncovering of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Now, first thing we get here is a tremendous blessing. We are blessed, the Bible says here, if we read this prophecy. And we go ahead and we read it and we hear those words and listen intently and then keep the words of this prophecy we will be blessed. This kind of idea is shared with us in three of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, about the parable of the sower, that there was a sower that went forth to sow. And Jesus tells the disciples later that that was the sowing of the word of God. And then uh, some of that seed fell on bad ground by the wayside, uh, in shallow ground and so forth but some fell on good ground. And you see the good ground, we're told in the Gospel of Luke, and let me read it to you, Luke 8, 15, that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. As we read here in Revelation, blessed is he that reads, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things. And so the good ground, you see, is receiving that word. And of course, we have in Mark 4, in parallel scripture, the good ground is, as uh, this gospel says, receiving that word, accepting it for what it says literally. Just receive it. Keep that word of prophecy. And if we do that, then Matthew comes true, Matthew 13, that we'll understand it. There's a lot of folks that say, I just don't understand the book of Revelation. The secret to understanding the book of Revelation is to hear the word, keep the word, receive the word literally. What God says, just take in and believe it. And as you do that, it'll fall on good ground in your heart and you'll understand it. By the power of the Holy Spirit. He will open your eyes to understand as you open your heart to him and just receive the word literally. There are some folks, you see, that try to spiritualize and change things in the book of Revelation and not take the word literally. And so they get in major trouble, in major arguments with other folks, and, and it's just so sad. But we, as simple folk and simple Christians want to believe that this really is a revelation. It really is an unveiling. And so we seek to simply go step by step through the word and just believe what God says. 
And as you do that, you'll understand it. And you'll have a peace in your heart to receive a full understanding of the book of Revelation. What a great promise. I'd like to give you an example of uh, a large number of folk that do seek to spiritualize Revelation and miss the boat in understanding prophecy because of not really accepting the Jews as back in the land. And in that, let's turn to Revelation 7-2 and just uh, seek uh, to use this as an example of taking literally what God says. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 2. I saw an angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed 140 and 4,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, to take this literally is very simply to say, well, the Lord is now going to seal in their foreheads 144,000 Jewish people of the tribes of Israel. Now, what some try to do, including the Jehovah's Witness, is say that this isn't Israel because God's finished with Israel. This is actually Christians. This is actually the people uh, of God uh, that, that aren't Israeli, that are to be sealed with a special seal to go through the tribulation period. And also, uh, not only Jehovah's Witness, but a, a large part of the Reformed Church believe uh, the amillennialist uh, uh, theory uh, that uh, Israel is done for, uh, God is dealing with just the church. And you see, this takes away a major key to just understand Bible prophecy. God really has brought the Jews back and made them a nation again, 1948. God did restore Jerusalem to them in 1967. And God is going to be dealing with the Jews again during the time what's called Jacob's trouble, which is the tribulation period that's coming upon the earth. God will uh, take the Gentile church home to be with him and then deal with the Jews as his witness again. And these 144,000 baby Billy Grahams that are going to be saved and witnessing during the tribulation time are Jewish. Now, it seems like God understood that we'd have a question about this. And so he goes ahead in verse 5 and says this, Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. And he goes right through the tribes of Israel to let us know these are Jewish people, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't the church. Now, some folks will say, yeah, but Pastor Mark, the 10 tribes of Israel are lost. Nobody knows who's really of what. God does. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When he chooses to seal the 144,000, he knows exactly who's Jewish. And he's going to go ahead and seal them. So this is just an example of some confusion that people bring on themselves simply by not taking the Bible for what it says. Tribes of Israel, and just to make sure, he says 12,000 from each tribe. And so there it is, very simple, very beautiful to understand. We just go ahead and take the word for what it means. 
Now, another thing that we need to remember as we get into the book of Revelation, because there are some things that will come up that you'll look at at first glance and go, what does that mean? There's beasts and animals and all kinds of things in Revelation. And you look at them and you go, what does that mean? The general rule, and very simply, brothers and sisters, is to interpret Scripture with other Scripture. Don't try to make something up. Some folks get in trouble with that, you know. Well, this must mean. Well, that must mean. What does God say that it means? And that's what we always just simply need to ask ourselves to understand the book, to keep his word, his whole counsel. This is the whole counsel of God from Old Testament through New, the apostles and the prophets, Old Testament and New. And so we need to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Let's just go ahead and take an example right here in Revelation chapter 1 of this principle. Backing, uh, back to uh, Revelation 1. And verse 12 and verse 16. We'll be uh, getting into the context of these scriptures next week. But just as an example of things that we need to define and use scripture to define it. Now, John turned uh, to see a voice that spoke with him. Being turned, John says, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And then in verse 16... He says that he that is Jesus, as we'll get to um, as we go through this, had in his right hand seven stars. Now, we have candlesticks and stars. What in the world is being said here? Uh, as as uh, John must, you know, in his mind wonder. Well, you see, in verse 20, the Lord Jesus Christ explains it to him. Let's just read verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks... The seven stars are, this is what they are, the angels of the seven churches that, that John will be addressing and that Jesus is showing him to, to address. And the seven candlesticks, which you saw, are very simply the seven churches. That's why oftentimes we pray about our church, Lord, let our candlestick burn brighter and brighter, for we see that each candlestick represented one church. And so Jesus was careful to explain to John, and we'll see this all through the book of Revelation. Uh, as we see something that seems kind of weird at first or whatever, we just go back to Isaiah, we go back to Daniel, Ezekiel, and they're explained fully, even back to Genesis. As we get to Revelation 12 in the first part, Genesis chapter 37 explains it fully and just unfolds the whole thing to us. We'll get to that. Now, there's another example of this right in our own scriptures today in verse 4. As now we read verse 4. We've done the first three verses. Now we go to verse 4. It says this, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, there were more than seven churches in Asia. There were many more. But God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, picks out these seven. Seven is God's number of completion. He created the earth in six days. On the seventh, he rested. It was complete. We see this all through the Bible. And there are seven churches with seven different problems and blessings in these churches that is a full, complete revelation of church problems today and problems in churches through history because all things are common to mankind. And so Jesus is able to speak to us today through these messages to these chosen seven churches in Asia. And so John writes to these seven churches, Grace be unto you, and peace 
from him which is, which was, and which is to come. This is the eternal nature of God. He was, he is, and he is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now this might be the first little line that kind of jumps out to you and go, what? I thought there was only one Holy Spirit. And it says here, it's uh, from the seven spirits before his throne. Now again, seven is the number of completion. And this is really the sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ. As the Spirit came upon him, and they are one, of course, they're both God. And so this is the sevenfold work of the Spirit. There, there's only one Holy Spirit. Well, you might say, well, Pastor Mark, where do you get that? Scripture interprets Scripture. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. This is a prophetic word about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we just mentioned that this is a sevenfold work of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. The very next words in the next verse in Revelation 1 are the Lord Jesus. And here we have a prophetic word about him. Chapter 11 of Isaiah verse 1 says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Now Jesse was King David's dad. And from him came the Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that they called him the son of David, didn't they? Because actually God had promised to King David that he would establish his throne forever. Through him would come the Messiah. And so this is a prophetic word in Isaiah, written 700 years before Jesus, that out of the stem of Jesse, through uh, Jesse then David, would come a branch that shall grow out of his roots. Now this word branch in the Hebrew is nitzer, from which they get their word Nazareth, and remember that it said in the last verse of Matthew chapter 2, Jesus shall be called a Nazarene. A Nazarene. He was raised in the city of Nazareth. And so this word branch, connecting directly with, with Nitzer to Nazarene, and Jesus is that branch, shall grow out of his roots. Now look at verse 2. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, number one. The spirit of wisdom, number two. The spirit of understanding, number three. The spirit of counsel, number four. The spirit of might, number five. The spirit of knowledge, number six. And the fear of the Lord, number seven. And so the sevenfold work of the spirit in anointing the Lord Jesus uh, is, I really believe, that Isaiah 11 explains that to us. Okay, now let's go back then to Revelation chapter one. And of course then, uh, the very next person that's mentioned is the Lord Jesus, verse five. Of Revelation 1 and it says this and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily he was a faithful witness of the Father and who the Father is when I want to know what the Father will do I simply look at Jesus Christ what would the Father say I simply look at Jesus Christ he was the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus was the first person that ever rose from the dead. That's not what it means. Uh, we know that there are two boys, one through Elijah, one through Elisha, that were raised from the dead 700 years before Jesus, 
or I'm sorry, 900 years before Jesus. And um, we know that Lazarus rose from the dead before Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose him from the dead himself. We know that that uh, poor widow's son was raised from the dead and that uh, Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead before Jesus. So what does this mean? Well, the Greek actually uh, means first in priority, meaning that the most important resurrection from the dead ever was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because in the resurrection of Christ comes the resurrection of the rest of us. <laughs> Very important. First in priority, the first begotten of the dead. Now, it goes on to say, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Now, we know that he's called the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and here he's called the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us, oh yes, he did, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. As Jesus died on that cross, he washed us, washed us. And he had died for us. And then he was raised from the dead. Oh yes, he was the most important. The first in priority of the raising of the dead. As after he had suffered and died for our sins. And verse 6, he has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, modern translations say that we are a kingdom of priests. Uh, it does uh, mean, as the King James says here, that we are both kings before the Lord and priests. Now, uh, we want to get scriptures first on uh, our kingship in the Lord. Uh, the Bible says that in Revelation 3.21, we covered this a few weeks ago about overcomers in the Lord. He that overcomes, that was Revelation 3.21, he that overcomes, will I grant to him to sit in my throne with me as I overcame, says Jesus, and am set down in my Father's throne with him. We will help the Lord Jesus rule and reign uh, for a thousand years here upon the earth, the Bible teaches us. And the Bible says if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him, and we will inherit Revelation 21, 7, all things. Actually, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that we will judge the angels. If you can imagine that, you and you. I didn't like what you did there. <laughs> Whatever. We're going to judge the angels. Whatever that means, we're going to help Jesus do that. And uh, so the scripture teaches very clearly that we are coming in to a time of kingship, not above him or equal to him, but alongside of him and under his authority. Uh, what a wonderful, wonderful uh, blessing that Jesus has brought through the shedding of his own blood to wash away all of our sins and then to bring us into resurrection with himself to be kings, to rule and reign with him upon the earth. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But we are also priests, or I should say and, not but, but we're also priests. Now, what is a priest? A priest is someone who represents God to man and represents man to God. As you know, in the Old Testament, the priest would go in with prayers to pray for the people, to re represent man to God. And the priest would minister to the people in the name of the Lord. 
Well, the scripture says here that every believer is not only a king, but a priest. And so we are to represent God to man. On that, let's turn to 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. And I always remember Larry Tomaszak from Melody Land when he visited Melody Land back in 1974 preaching on this verse. He got going on this verse and uh, talked about Hank Aaron or whoever it was that hit that home run uh, to break somebody's record and how people stand up in a stadium and cheer. And he, he was just getting real power worked up about this verse saying we ought to stand up and cheer about this verse. For it says this, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. And there's the king and priest again. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Well, I really did already know that about you. <laughs> We're a peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the work of the royal priesthood to show forth the praises of him that has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the word of your testimony, what God has done in your life. This is representing God to man. When you say, let me share what God did for me, and you share it with someone in the workplace, at school, and the people you rub shoulders with, you are being a priest for the Lord. You are a member of the priesthood of Jesus Christ to go ahead and show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, uh, give, the giving of your testimony will actually help you overcome the devil. And I want to show you that in the book of Revelation. Let's turn to Revelation 12, 11. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. First of all, in verse 9, we'll establish who, who's being talked about here. It says, The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. Boy, the Lord doesn't want you to be mistaken who he's talking about here. <laughs> the dragon, the serpent, the devil, Satan, they're all the same. Okay, in verse 11, it says this, of Revelation 12. They overcame him. This is how we overcome him, the devil. By the blood of the lamb, number one. Shed his blood to wash away all of our sins. We overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb. Number two is what we're talking about here, about being a priest for God. And by the word of their testimony. As you open your mouth for Jesus Christ to, to do your priesthood, to share what God has done for you with someone else, you are bringing in a powerful ingredient to overcome the devil and all the temptations that the devil might bring to you. You can be blessed with that. Uh, one time at the auto parts store, working auto parts years ago, I, I had a phone call from a homosexual on the phone propositioning me. And you know, I just went ahead and started witnessing to him about Jesus Christ. And man, the power and the love of God was just there, and the enemy was defeated immediately, as you can well imagine. The guy just hung up, you know. 
But the word of our testimony is how we overcome sin and evil in this world. And it's a wonderful thing. And if you have in your mind to witness to anyone that would come and, and, and try to bring evil your way to just share Jesus with them, man, it's over. <laughs> the victory's been won. We've overcome the enemy. And so they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. And they're just going ahead and saying, Lord, I belong to you. Well, now this word of your testimony, you see, will overcome uh, the evil one. And this is a marvelous, uh, marvelous, marvelous truth in the Bible. Now, how long does it take to get to be a priest in the body of Christ? Do I have to study for five years? Do I have to read the Bible through once? Uh, do I have to be, <clears throat> you know, uh, ordained or sanctified by someone that says, okay, you're ready to be a priest? No. The minute that someone asks Jesus into their heart, they're a priest of God immediately. And the word of your testimony can be shared immediately. Maybe you don't know much scripture. Maybe you don't know any scripture yet, but you know Jesus saved you. And it talks about here the word of his testimony. It doesn't say his wonderful, dynamic Bible study. It says the word of their testimony. You overcome the devil. You're being a priest for the Lord. Years ago at a baptism, there was one guy that was holding out to be saved. And one of the brothers went and shared with him uh, the, the, the plan of salvation. And, you know, he was like this. And finally his arms began to relax. And, you know, and he accepted Jesus. And then he ran down to the baptismal water. Baptize me, baptize me, I've just been saved. And he started to share all of his testimony and how God had been dealing with him. And God now brought him to himself. He's five minutes old in the Lord. And all of us, all of us, were standing around in awe at the power and the ministry of God Almighty that was coming through a brother that was five minutes old in the Lord. That's the way it is. You are a royal priesthood. You are a chosen generation to show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into, into his marvelous light. This is part of the priesthood. Now, the other part of the priesthood is to represent man to God. And, of course, how we do that today is prayer, isn't it? Yes, prayer. We pray for the non-believers. Yes, we do. Sometimes you might come across a person that you think, there's no hope for this guy. He's such a dark, evil dude. But we're always to pray and not lose hope. God can do mighty works. We get this from the book of Ezekiel. As actually it came time for God to destroy the city of Jerusalem and destroy Israel because uh, they had gone away from the Lord and become non-believers. And so in Ezekiel 22... The Lord says to Ezekiel about that situation, and this is Ezekiel 22:30. I sought for a man that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap, but I found none. God is looking today for men and women that will stand, make up the hedge and stand in the gap in prayer for this nation and for the non-believers that you think there's no hope for. Pray for them. Ask God to touch them. Ask God to bring them to himself. Ask God to work in their lives. And you know what? God is blessed with that, and you are doing your office of the priesthood.
The Lord is interested in us praying for backslidden Christians. Some folks want to give up on certain folks that have gone back into the world. But in 1 Samuel 12, 23, when Israel was backsliding, they hadn't come to that place of destruction yet. They were backsliding from the Lord. And Samuel said this to them, the prophet of God, the priest of God, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. <clears throat> and so it is that we're not to sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for our backslidden brothers and sisters, but that God would restore them. And then, <clears throat> of course, for all the right-on Christians <clears throat> in and around you, this is part of the armor of God. Ephesians 6.18 Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. Oh yes, we begin to pray for the saints around us as part of the priesthood, uh, bringing and representing man before God. Oh, how God appreciates that. His incense that comes up before his nostrils in heaven from Revelation 5 are the prayers of the saints. He hears our prayers. He, he listens to what we have to say. The, the earnest, effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much, means a lot to God. And so we pray. And this is, this is how uh, we become part of the priesthood. And so we bless the Lord and we praise his holy name and we thank him for what he is doing through prayer. Now, let's go back to Revelation 1. <clears throat> and of course, this is what the book is all about. That unveiling, that revealing of Jesus Christ. Behold, he comes with clouds. Behold, he comes with clouds. Jude tells us that he's coming with ten thousands of his saints. And Revelation 19 tells us that he's coming with the armies of God behind him. When Jesus returns to the earth to set up his kingdom, it will be with us behind him, ten thousands of his saints, and with the armies of God. We would have been raptured before, had a honeymoon time with Jesus in heaven as his bride. And then when he returns, you see, he's coming with clouds, clouds of people, his armies, ten thousands of his saints. And every eye shall see him here upon the earth, and they also which pierced him. These are the Jewish people that God deals with during the great tribulation. Those that pierced him. Uh, actually, in Zechariah 13, 6, it says that some will ask, How did you get the wounds in your hands? And he will say, These are the wounds that I received in the house of my friends. How precious! How graceful of the Lord Jesus that when he returns to those that pierced him, that he will refer to a, a, a scripture at that time that refers to them as his friends. When Judas came to betray him with a kiss, Jesus referred to him as his friend. It's just an amazing thing, the grace of God. And at that time, all of Israel shall be saved and enter into the kingdom of the rule of their king descended from David, their great king of old. Praise the name of the Lord. For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. He keeps his promises to Israel and to us as Christians.
And so all the kindreds shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And then the Lord says, verse 8, I am Alpha, which is like our A in the Greek alphabet, and Omega, which is like our Z. He's the beginning and the ending. Says the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty, the eternalness of God Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. Not being conceited about his call. Can you imagine how conceited you'd be tempted to be if you were the Apostle John? To say, I am the great, wonderful Apostle, the cousin of Jesus by blood, the one who laid his head on Jesus Christ's breast and listened to his heart beat at the Last Supper. But how does John address us? I, John, am also your brother. Believe with all my heart there's no hierarchy in the body of Christ. We all just have different gifts. The only reason this pulpit is up a little higher than you is so that I can communicate better. It should be on the floor. And you should all be standing so that we'll all be the same as far as the physical appearance if we were to do it that way. You see, we're all the same in the Lord. Not one is preferred before the other. Each one of us just takes our gifts and uses it. And there'll be people that had a little, little gifts that used them all that will be higher up and rewarded greater in heaven than the guy that was given a lot of gifts and didn't use them properly. But as each one of us use our gifts according to the will of God, we will walk shoulder and shoulder, shoulder to shoulder with the same glory into heaven because there's no hierarchy in the body of Christ. He that's the servant of all is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so I, John, your brother, John understands this, and companion in tribulation. He is our companion in trials. And brothers and sisters, this is a very, very wonderful thing to know that you have companions in your trials, that all things are common to man. Knowing this helps us resist the devil. We've been talking about the devil a little earlier in the study today, how the word of our testimony overcomes him. Actually knowing that you have others in the body of Christ that are your companion in the trials of life will help you resist the devil. 1 Peter 5.9 says this, Resist steadfast in the faith the devil, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brothers that are in the world. No matter what you're going through, somebody has gone through it before you and somebody will go through it after you. And this knowledge can really, really help you. Help you to be comforted and help you to comfort others. Second Corinthians 1 talks about how that God comforts us in all our tribulation that we might be able to comfort others with the same comfort that we've been comforted with. And God begins to use us as we don't throw in the towel. We realize that the Apostle John and others have gone through these things. There's others around us that go through these things 
and we can comfort one another in the Lord. This, why, this is why small group fellowship is so important. I think Jack was mentioning that today at the microphone. Our men's encouragement group, our men's prayer meetings, our women's prayer meetings, women's Bible studies, the, the smaller Bible studies that meet in homes during the week. You can actually hear from the guy next to you that he's going through the same thing that you went through last week. And you can even be used of God personally to share and to say, you know what? I went through that last week. This is what God did for me. It's so precious that John the Apostle is no different than you and I. And this is another blessing that we get in this introduction to the book of Revelation. So we share with one another and become companions in tribulation. God comforts us and uses us. And so today, we've seen the blessing in hearing, reading this word, and receiving it, literally. We've seen the blessing of being priests and kings for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've seen the blessing of having companions in tribulation. God wants us to be blessed. This is a blessed book, a wonderful book that he wants to open to us through the weeks to come. Let's stand and pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this book of Revelation. Lord, feel free to unveil to us, to uncover to us all that you have for us. And Lord, most of all, the glory and the beauty of your precious Son. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. And Lord, we just want to see you. We want to see you more clearly. We want to muse and to ponder and meditate upon the glory that you will have and have now and are bringing, Lord, to this earth. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would like prayer for anything today, the prayer room's open for you. May the Lord bless you now today and just continue to lead your life and give you the wisdom that you need to walk day by day with him. God bless you and keep you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.